Welcome to episode 242 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 242 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles and it's uh, well, it's just briefly me today because this is the best of the year and we've had lots and lots of uh, emails through from people saying what they wanted for the best of the year and the obvious contender was the Macro interview. Uh, we're going to be checking it out in a few minutes but before we do I just quickly mention the sponsors. We've got coffeesofhawaii.com. Uh, the best coffee in the world, athletes.com, social networking for endurance athletes and extreme endurance, your lactic buffer to help you recover better and have better racing as an athlete. So, uh, well, I'm currently actually in a place called Queenstown, which is in the middle of New Zealand, and it's a couple of days after Christmas and it's pouring with rain. So we're actually thinking about heading down to the swimming pool, which I've been to swimming pool for a while, do a few laps. So I might knock out a few laps. It should be pretty fun, but... What we're going to do today is we're going to put the whole Mecca interview up. Well, I'm going to split it up a little bit to put an ad in the middle. So we're going to have an ad, then about 40 minutes of the interview. Then just before he, once he starts talking about the race day in Kona, I'll put an ad in there and then chuck an ad on at the end. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Let's listen to Mecca and talk about his amazing year and his amazing race at Kona. His next sponsor, Extreme Endurance. You asked me last week, um, you were saying, oh, you're noticing when you're taking Extreme Endurance, you know, lactic build-up, and I was like, well, I'm running well, yeah. and, and, it's, and, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good, and, and the lactic acid obviously isn't, doesn't seem to be there as much, but that's just hopefully maybe because I got my periodization right, and yep. I've, been, I've been on the Extreme Endurance since I was feeling crappy, and it has helped turn things around. But one thing I did think about last week was... A lot less muscle soreness. Really? Like when I did the 5K um, the week before last, no muscle soreness. Really? Like, like basically none. So, sure, I still had a bit of tiredness in the legs the next day. But yeah, but normally no when soreness. you smack out a 5K. Yeah, and I was full bloody noise on that. I wasn't. Um, What'd you do? 16 what? 16, 11. It's not that oh, good. Especially when work. one of my athletes went out and last week and ran 15, 40. Oh, really? Uh, was that? I'm, I'm normally about even with him. Mike Phillips, young fella. Oh, Mike, watch. mate, you just dominated the coach. Mm. I mean, we were supposed to go head to head last week, but I had a little bit of a mishap, so I couldn't run. Oh, so. bugger. I'm hating it. <laughs> it was a bit blustery the night that I ran, as I pointed out to him. All I'm hearing is excuses. But anyway, yeah, that, I just thought that was one interesting thing is one thing we talk about from a coaching perspective in terms of um, your training is, is trying to be as consistent as possible, and racing does interrupt that. So you need, you know, you obviously need to do racing, but. There's always a trade-off to doing that, and if you can figure out ways where you can, re- you know, reduce, as Bevan said, I oh, just leave your phone on. Oh uh, no, because we've got to get Usher tickets today, John. Usher, Usher, you know, Usher, the singer. Is Richard sing? Richard Usher singing? For you? Is he doing a private, <laughs> private solo? I'll give you some points because that was pretty quick. I'll give you that, but but Usher, you know Usher? No, I don't. You do not know Usher? No. He's like the biggest thing in the world right now. Don't well, know. my daughter and my sister want to go to it, and I'm the only one at home at 9 o'clock, so I've got to get their tickets. Okay, it's going to sell out, is it? Honestly, I probably won't be able to get them because it'll sell out in seconds. Okay. But um, Anyway, so there was just one thing that I've noted was that I seem to be getting a lot less muscle soreness, and also from longer runs, I'm getting a lot less muscle soreness. Well, and, so. and that's, that's really great, because I remember, I, I, not, not, I don't want to bring drugs into it, but I remember I read that article in Outback, 
mm-hmm. outside magazine years yep. ago about the guy who did drugs. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the best thing about doing drugs was that it wasn't necessarily that you were going that much better in training. It's just that the next day it felt like you'd done nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's where the gain came. And, and obviously with extreme endurance, it's not a drug. So if you can get that same you know post-training recovery, you're going to train better the next day. And so obviously, you know, because mm-hmm. after you've done a 5K race, normally yeah, the next yeah. couple of days, you're kind of just plodding along, yeah. ticking the box, aren't you? Yeah, so... Get yourself some lactic acid buffering extreme endurance. Just go through our website um, or go direct to xendurance.com, put in the code IMTALK and get yourself a deal. Okay, John. Um, I'm just pulling up a website here right now because I need to talk to this before we put the interview on. So but, Be- um, Bevan gives me a call yesterday. Um, I'm interviewing Mecca in about an hour's time. Yeah. Said, Sorry, I'm going for a run. Are you free? No. No. Uh-huh. It's the love for the show, John. Okay, Ian Devon. He went on Mac. He went on. Uh, he went on Twitter, and uh, he was just here. Here's the message I got from him. I just got back from two weeks in Kona, where I've been podcast recluse. Uh, uh, as I neared the end of my day at work at Kona, predictions podcast started. I haven't yet finished it, but. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I laughed loudly as John wrote off Mecca and Bevan defended him. Just, just remember that, Mecca, if you listen to this. And I posted on Twitter, and I was amused that Mecca replied. So he, he gave you craps for saying, just catching up on I Am Talk, Co, Super Kona, Super Special, with John saying, and he's put at Mecca now, that's Mecca's Twitter feed, uh, can't win. Hope Bevan gave him crap about that part too, So which I did. And then Mecca replied, John should start watching more races and not just results. Oh, he's digging it at you, John. Uh, racing in Europe is tough. Called it two years ago, Europeans are coming. And he actually talks about this in an interview, how uh, American races is just a bit easy. And, you know, you go to Europe and the fields are strong. And, you know, America, you can turn up, you can pretty much, for someone of his level, obviously, just want to get lots of PR, but not, you know, actually maybe develop yourself as an athlete. So so then uh, I, I replied to Mecca, said, do you want to jump on for an interview? And he said, yep, love to. So uh, so that's what happened. So now we've got Mecca for an hour ten. Um, always a good interview. Uh, great coverage of this year. Let's chuck it on. For the record, I said he couldn't win. You did? I did, but I said I thought he'd get in the top five. Well, that's not winning. Good. I know. Yeah, who won it? You didn't say he was going to win. Yes, I did. You I did said, it. I said. I listened to it. No, you did not. I could, I could almost put that on there. I said, if he's in a position close to the end, he'll win it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. People have heard, John. You're only lying to yourself. <laughs> oh. I'm keep lying to myself. I'm going to keep believing. <laughs> keep believing. Live in denial. Okay, here's Mecca. Bloody hell. <laughs> We've got, we've got Mecca back on the show. He's been on the show a few times, obviously, in the interviews we did with Rote with him, and uh, it's probably the best time to have him on the show because uh, it's straight after is obviously a huge event in his life. And uh, just welcome to the show, Mecca, mate. Oh, thanks. Good to be back on. Yeah, good to have you back on, mate. It's good. Hey, um, I thought we actually wouldn't even start talking about Hawaii and talk on it later on in the interview. I thought we'd probably even talk a little bit more about your year leading up to Hawaii. Um, just want to talk us through what's, how the year's been going. I had a good year, I think. I, you know, after uh, 09, I thought I had a great Hawaii. Some some issues in the swim put me out of contention, I think. But I, you know, I, I went back to the drawing board like I do every year and assessed, you know, what what needed to change, why why I had some issues on the marathon and, and what happened. And uh, I looked at my racing calendar and I, I'd raced seven seventy point threes in 2009 and I just think it was a little much I'm a little older now I had to take that into consideration and so we adjusted that for 2010 and dropped from 7 to 2 and started focusing more on Olympic distance races so you saw me in races like Alcatraz and that this year and um, 
I just wanted to be fresh. I think as you get into your late 30s, which I am now, 37, you, you just can't expect your body to do the things it was doing when it was was in its early 30s and if, if not its late 20s. And I, I think I I made those tweak adjustments and uh, yeah, I think I had a good season. I wasn't winning the races because I was doing races that I shouldn't be winning. I'm racing Bevan Doherty and these guys yeah. who were specialists at... at uh, at Olympic distance and, um, you know, trying to be as close to them as possible. But I, overall, we were happy with my progress and we had to... Our main test race was uh, the 70.3 in Austria. I wanted to have a really, really good hit out there and um, and I got beaten by um, the, the Czech guy, um, Philip Osplay, and, uh, but I was able to beat Marino Valenhack and Andreas Raitlert, who we find out later in the season had great, great corners. So... I, um, you know, I had a good year. You know, Frankfurt, I, I put Frankfurt late on the list. I got an offer there five weeks out before that event, decided to throw it on the list and try some new things, got towed up by Andreas. But overall, I I was content. You know, we, we sort of stuck with a plan. We we made some adjustments. I've never been 37 before, and I had to trust the, the people who I've been working with my entire career to, and trust myself that... So yeah, freshening up and, and changing things around when you when you're getting older is the right thing if you if you're targeting Kona. Don't go to last year's Kona. You know, like last year's Kona, for, you know, I was the I saw you do the race, and to me, uh, display of effort in the race, you showed the most character of all the athletes on the race. And um, just, just what was that race like for you, like last year? Because you you attack that run so hard at the start, and then you're cracked. And you know, most athletes once they crack, it's game over. But for some reason, you're able to just to dig deep and pull yourself through. What was that like? I think I think last year's Kona was my best ever Kona. You know, people in people in sport tend to to watch results; they don't watch races, yeah. and uh, you know they tend to measure a performance on a result. But on a personal level, as an athlete, when you when you when you take the result aside, I think it was my best ever Kona. I you know I I had a terrible swim. You know, I and I'm not here to make excuses for why I swam bad. I don't know why I swam bad, but I had a terrible. Did you put your finger on that, or is it just? I, I, I haven't. We couldn't work it out because in training everything was was great. I, we we put it down to basically that I thought I was in the front group. Oh, you know, okay. you sort of you swim there. I had this yeah. paddler in. You know, he's, I'm not a front front of the front group swimmer, and I was sitting about ten rows back, and there was a paddler there, and I just assumed that was the front group. I didn't know there'd been an escape, but. You know, I had a terrible swim. I was three minutes thirty down on guys I get out the water with in every race I ever do. So they put me on the back foot, and uh, but I, I fought on. You know, and you know, I think it showed a character change from the athlete I was in 2002, that young kid who first came to Kona, to to the athlete I, that the sport I guess matured me into, or the person I matured into. I was a fighter, and I thought, you know what, put my head down and bum up, and you know, and I did it. A Kona, really, on my own all day. Yeah. I never, I didn't see anyone besides Norman Stadler. We, um, you know, I, I pushed hard on the bike. I, I rode through the group and put myself in a position to win. And um, you know, ran solid in that marathon. And then really had some issues at mile marker ten and eleven. And went from thinking I was going to win the race at mile marker six, seven, eight, so, nine, so ten you, to you're sitting there and you're going, I've got it. I thought I had it, yeah. And then to thinking, man, I'm not going to finish it. I don't think I'm going to finish. And then, you know, I had three miles of absolute hell. And then to come out the other side of that and then, you know, put myself within four minutes of the win, I walked away from that race hugely happy. Like, you know, I was beaten by three better guys on the day. But on a personal level, you know, I I had my head held high. I, 
I was very, very happy with my performance that day. And, and I was surprised when I left. People were like, oh, Mac is finished, you know. I was like thinking, far out. I, I'm, I'm four minutes from the win. Don't you follow the sport? I've never been that far behind in a swim. Yeah. That's, that's something wrong there. If you take that swim and put me in back in the group, I'm running, I'm running for the win. Yeah. How can you not see that? It was, it was, that's when I started saying, realizing that people just watch results. They don't watch races. And so with regards to that, you know, this year, obviously, you know, people obviously have been thinking maybe you're a bit past it. You know, going into this year, did, did you get a lot of that feeling coming from the media and that around what was happening with you? Oh, 100% I did. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, the media tends to age you, you know. I, I think age, you know, you never feel old, but suddenly people start saying, oh, he's old, and I'm sitting there going, man, I'm the same age as Craig Alexander. I'm a year and a half younger than Chris Lieto. It's it's amazing. I'm I'm suddenly old. Yeah. Now he's got family. Well, so do these guys. And I um, I just think it's, um, you know, I've always been very, very you know, I guess it's got me not and got me in trouble, but I, I always study my opposition. Always have since the day I started the sport. I I was calling Rasmus Henning as a as a future champion of, sport of Ironman years ago. Last time we we spoke on the show in Roth, yeah. and yeah. I know my, my competitors are capable of. And I, I'm very very meticulous in my preparation of what of watching races. I don't. I don't just run down a list on the weekend and go, oh, well, Craig Alexander was first and Richie Cunningham second and Andy Potts was... I look at what they swam, what they biked. I know what, what he did three weeks before and I look at trends in their season, trends in their racings. And, and when you know trends of an athlete, you can start to highlight their strengths and weaknesses, what conditions suit them, what type of courses suit them. What, and when you have that knowledge that, you know, most professional sports, people tend to focus on that kind of knowledge but in triathlon it tends to be yeah. we jump from bandwagon to bandwagon no one ever takes that kind of depth of of um of viewing a, our our sport and uh you know i um i felt my last two i think my last two seasons have been fantastic like i thought like on when i've raced I've, I've raced very very well i just haven't raced in the states and it had i wanted to come to the states and then five i could have easily had 570.3 wins i'm going to go on our record and say racing in america is easy you, nice. the fields are diluted there's 20 70.3 races and you get one guy per race is any good you go to europe there's six 70.3 races there's a hundred guys and 40 of them are good yeah. so a fourth place in ironman or a third place in ironman germany is worth an ironman winning in in the USA and the same in 70.3s I think we get this the sport is American but we get this false sense of of not giving the European races and the European athletes the respect they deserve like they're the competition is much higher there. John and I were actually talking on the show last week a little bit about the dominance of ITU being kind of European now, really, when you look at the athletes coming through. Um, and that if you look at what's happening in Kona now, it really is the ITUs coming into, you know, the, moving on from ITU into the to Ironman distance. You know, like, realistically, do we see any American guys being strong in Ironman over the next period? I, I just think that this... The European psyche suits triathlon. The European psyche suits Ironman, and uh, and that uh, they are very, very, very meticulous in their preparation, and their and their racing is very, very highly competitive. And these are, and they don't avoid each other. Like there's, and you have to go and race. It's a different style of racing in Europe 
to, to America. It's much more aggressive. It's much faster, and it's it's much more borderline. You sit very, very close to that fine line of, of, of exploding. The guys are, and, and you come to America, it's a lot more placid. But yet, the sport is, you know, the the magazines, everything is out of the states. So we, uh, the magazine, there's a lot of hype around a lot of athletes here who are great athletes, but and not a lot of hype around great athletes like Marino Vallanaka. Like he, he's 7:52, man. This year in Austria, he, he's won it four times, and and no one is giving this guy. He's turning up in Kona, and he's rated 15 to one chance of winning. I'm like, man, are you, you know? And you're putting Andy, like Andy Potts is phenomenal, but he hasn't, he's not, he hasn't put the runs on the yeah, board yet of of a Marino who, and and there's a lot of European guys that aren't getting that that respect. Timo Brucht, you know, um, you know, and look at the Europeans that are coming here. Michael Raylett pops in over here his first year and dominates, wins the world championship, and hasn't lost a 70.3. Oh, my, come to America. And suddenly he's, a, he's, he's new to the sport. The guy's been racing in Europe for 10 years. Yeah. He's been racing Michael since 2003, you know, and he's a new discovery here in, in the United States. So I just think the sport, if it wants to truly be global, we need to start giving the Europeans and the European races the respect they deserve and really starting to focus on on, on the style of racing there and how difficult it is to be competitive there and, and comparing that to events in the United States and saying, hey, it's not a, not who has the most 70.3 victories who's necessarily the best guy that's having the best season that year. It's it's the quality of fields that people are racing. Okay, so I'm just going to go back to the age question a little bit. Like, you know, like, it's very, we're a very ego-driven sport. Although I know you were kind of ticking the boxes and going through the process which you thought was going to make you most successful on race day and obviously it worked, but... How were you taking it, you know, because it must kind of take a chip off your shoulders a little bit hearing everyone saying you're old. Were you able to just let go of that or? Um, I, I really tried to stay. My wife seems to read a lot more of the stuff than I do and fills me in. And I I was like, I, I never really took much notice of it because it was in my world. Your whole, my whole focus is me, I guess. I guess my, my team and and we have an objective and that's to, to be the best we can be in October. And... Um, and I'm always, I'm a glass half full guy. I, I walked away, like I said, from Kona and I thought there was, there was no, you know, in 2009, there was no like, mate, I'm outclassed here. There's time to hang the shoes up, you know, and I'll be the first person when I feel that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those heavyweight fighters that come back for that, you know, to keep fighting when it's the time to go. I, 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 when I feel it's my time to go, I'll go. When I feel I've, I've got nowhere left to go or I can't compete anymore, then I will happily walk away, but I still, I definitely felt that I, I wasn't outclassed in '09. I lost the race, but I lost the race through, through areas that I could improve. It wasn't as if I was outplayed, and um, the guys just performed better on a day. Had the race been run the next day, the result could have been completely different. And um, so you draw confidence from that, and you don't, you try not to buy into into the hype but you know you just said about going home going back to the drawing board it's all I've ever known okay resetting how can we be better how can we not make those mistakes who am I racing who do I see as the threats how's the best way of beating these guys and that's the process and uh, you know you read it and and I'm reading that I was old you know three weeks before the I'm like mate do you know the age of the guys I'm racing they're the same age as me if I'm old then they're old and and I and you sort of no you don't get a chip on your shoulder but you're a little bit go you know what oh, I want to 
I definitely want to prove you guys wrong, but I, I definitely want to get that microphone after it and go, well, what do you say about that then? And if you guys are the so-called experts, then suddenly an old grandfather that you called a grandfather two days ago has just towed up all the young guys. Maybe these young guys you've been calling heroes aren't as good as as you're saying they are because yesterday you were saying I was old and over the hill. Well, that old over the hill guy just towed up this new generation so maybe you guys, you guys don't know what you're talking about, and yeah. you know you feel like it's you draw. You're looking for motivation. You're not the one I said looking for motivation. You're looking for ways to draw desire and 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 grit and uh, you know those things. Yeah, you do. You do run them through your head. Come race day. So, so one thing I noticed when you post race interview is, is and, and you never hear this from other athletes. And, and, and like one thing I've, I think everyone who's ever listened to you has picked up on is, is your love of the sport and the, the detail you put into the, the preparation of what you're doing. And you know the fact in your pre-race or post-race interview, you're talking about how for about eight months you've been talking to other guys about how you need to kind of get rid of Crowey because obviously if you get off the bike from probably no one's going to run with him. So you know like. Are, you, are the other guys doing that kind of strategy or are you really the only guy who's doing it that well? I often, we just talked about that tonight here in San Diego. I was talking at the Tri Club here and a lot of people asked me that question who have been following my career. My said, Mac, you seem to be the only strategic racer well, in the sport of triathlon. Let's put it that way. When we're like, look, not picking other pros, we love all the other pros, but when we talk to other pros, they never talk about the, the, the way they work the field, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think, well, no, I think, you know, I, like I said, I... I I, I sit down and I look at. I, I think the other, you know, the other athletes seem to get offended that I that I talk like this. I think they should be flattered yep. that I know them so intimate, so well. Like I that I take the time to sit down and watch video of Craig Alexander and go, okay, or and I've known him my whole career and go, well, this is where I think his weaknesses are. And I say to people, if we were going to war, and I'm not being melodramatic here, but in my world, Ironman World Championships is my own personal war. If I was going to war in Europe, I would want to know everything about the countries I was about to fight. You don't go in with, with oh, let's cross fingers and hope for the best. Let's send our troops in and hope we win this thing. That's an that's an amateur. That's that's that that is just absolutely ludicrous that you would think that way. Yet I and so I, I would want to know everything about the countries I was fighting. Well, I treat the athletes I'm racing as as countries I'm about to go to war with. I want to know everything about them. I want to follow their season. I want to know their strengths and weaknesses. I want to know what it will take for me, being honest with myself, what I think I need to do to beat these guys. Yeah. And, you know, these guys are like, oh, Macca talks it up, or Macca's picking on me, or Macca Macca's should just worry about himself. Well, I am worrying about myself. That's exactly what I'm worrying about. And by worrying about myself, I'm finding your weaknesses, and I'm going to work the field the best way I possibly can to make sure it plays out my way. So, yeah, I do worry about myself. And uh, But I, I've often said I, I find the guys get very, 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 I don't know whether it's insecurity or whether when you highlight someone's weakness and they know it deep inside and they're trying to hide it, they 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 get offended by it. But, I yeah, I, I did. I, I realised that I honestly believe that Craig Alexander in a hot race, if it's a soft bike, is the best runner in the field. Yep. He's the best. Yep. So why the hell would I want to get off? Why the hell would I want to make the bike ride a soft bike ride yep. and get off the bike with him if I want to win the race? Yep. Like it doesn't make sense. So I'm looking. I'm going to try and get away. And then I'm thinking I don't want to get away on my own because I don't want to be a liado. 
and lay out too much. I want to take allies with me, but allies I can control, but that's very, very political and very, very difficult to do. And so you, you spend a season or you spend a way of, of using interviews and radio shows like this and, and magazine articles and, and telling people, because I don't think people do think this way, telling people what you think. This is what I think. Hey, guys. And if you watch Training Day, a, a, a thing I did on competitor um, TV when I was in Alabama in March of this year, yep. of 2010, I said, Farris, Norman, Timo, Andreas, let's attack at Kauai High. Let's distance ourselves from the runners, and I guarantee you they will not come. They will not like the crosswinds. And we, mate, it's like I called what was going to happen in the race in March. It's exactly what happened. The runners don't like the crosswind, and we got a wave between Kauai High and Harvey. Do you, do, you, do you find it's hard to convince the other guys? Because, you know, like, that, you know, people probably don't trust you, and, you know, they obviously know that your motive is to get you get the best result. And you find, like, do you approach actual athletes and say, hey, look, you know, do you go to someone like, I don't know, Ferris, and say, look, Ferris, this is our best way to get the best result? And if so, do you get buy-in from guys? I think, I think you know, in the sense that athletes' ego tend to cover... You know that athletes are going to—they're going to be listening to this radio show, yeah. and they're going to walk away from this radio show. Hey, geez, Mac is a—what's Mac's go? He's a jerk. I can't cop this guy. I don't like him. Yeah. They, and I bank on the fact that people—that every athlete has an ego, and every athlete's vain, and they're going to read other athletes' interviews, and, and they're going to take from it what they want. And so you—you um, you need to form alliances but you need to tell people because I honestly don't think some people have ever thought it they just do A, B and get results C they don't they just know physical training many the Ironman as a sport has just come about you know you watch the old interviews I worry about my race I worry about thing I don't care about it's, it's, it's rubbish it doesn't work like that and so I don't think a lot of them have that mindset they don't often think about about other people and I think when you start putting it out there and I think sometimes a light goes off in the head and goes, you know what, you're you're right. And so when I'm looking at an athlete like, say, a, a Timo Bracht, who I'm friends with, who is a lovely, lovely guy, you know, I'm not saying, hey, Timo, what we need to do in Hawaii is you and me. When I'm saying, mate, Timo, you're racing really, really well this year. You're half a shot in Kona, so am I. But, mate, trust me, you don't want to get off the bike with, with the runners. You're a good bike rider. Why would you want to... Why hedge your bet back with this group? You want to win this thing, take a chance. Let's go. You're better off running against me and Andreas and rolling the dice there than, than running with Rasmus and, and Crowley and and the Neko and the and the fast guys and, and Pete Jacobs. Why why did that then? Terenzo Bazzoni, why do that? And you try and tell them that you hope that they're gonna go away. And and think about that themselves. You know, there's no guarantees out there. I didn't I didn't stand on the start line this year in Kona and go, cool, at Kauai High, six guys are going to go up the road. I, yeah. I hoped that was the case. I hoped that I'd told them all that. I was prepared to go that way. And I, and I know guys are prepared to do that. They, they have to be prepared because they know what I'm saying is true. Like, you know, like, Craig is good when it's hot and soft. Craig... Craig Alexander, he, can, he will swim 51 minutes, he will ride 437 to 440, and he'll run 245 or better. It's every Ironman he's ever done. Go and check him out. Yeah. It's the same time. This year he went two minutes, he did a two-minute PB in Kona, and he did it by running quicker. He didn't swim any faster. He didn't bike any faster. He ran faster. And, and when you highlight this to the guys, they go back and they look at it and say, you know what, Mac is right. 
I know I'm right. And when I'm not telling them rubbish, I, I meticulously study this. My team meticulously study this. And I, I think the guys should be flattered. I can tell you anything. I can tell you Marino's times. I, I know what these guys are doing. I I'm, I know what Andreas is capable of. I know that his marathons aren't stellar yet. His best marathon, I think, was Kona this year, 2.44. Prior to that, it was Arizona, 2.48 on debut. He ran 2.51 in Frankfurt this year. He ran 2.53 last year in, in Hawaii. Like he, he's, he hadn't put together a good marathon, and these are, these are things he's going to have to deal with. Why does the sport have this? You know, like you know, like you, you know, it doesn't seem to be that you know your style, and you know, I'm sure there may be other athletes looking at it at the same level. I'm not going to say you're the only guy doing it, but why isn't it that we are more professional in the way we're approaching the big race? You know, why why do you think triathlon Lexus? I don't know why. I think I think everybody's scared, everybody's scared to say anything because everyone's scared of being labelled a cocky or opinionated or oh geez I think the sport in itself is is not you know you're not allowed to state your intentions or you're not allowed to say I'm here to win you know it's just not it's all about it's been built up on this whole you know I just concentrate about my day endurance racing is you versus you yeah. you know what I mean and and there is no thought of the other competitor. That's that's what Iron Man was. You know, it's your day. You know, you worry about you. You worry about your nutrition. You don't. I don't let the energy of other people come in. That's that's true. But the sport is evolving. The sport is. There's 50 guys in the front bunch now. It's not five. It ain't. You know. It's and these guys are good. They're very very good. And and not all of them can win the race, but all of them can change the race to some degree they may not they can change the outcome they can change the way the race will be raced you know guys like Luke McKenzie he's not ready to win Kona maybe in the future he can win Kona it's not there yet but he's, his swim and bike is strong enough to do things or to, to he's a great ally for someone like me it'd be like you know, well Luke your, your run's not quite there yet you're still young you've got many years to go but you're a very good swim biker yeah, why not be aggressive? Why not take that chance? You know, and these are the people that you can that, that can change an event for you, and and that's why the sport is different now, and and that's why strategy in in attacking a race like Kona, if you want to win it, it, it it's, it's changing. It has to come into play, and and if you want to, you're a dinosaur if you don't think that way. You're going to be made obsolete because the Europeans and their teams, the Commerce Bank. These things are starting to think this way. Yep. The question I have just before we kind of head into the Hawaii stuff is: is the star factor? You know, like I always, I always think of people like you and Chrissy, and, and you know, the kind of the stars of our sport. And how do you keep it real in real life? Because I imagine, like you know, like you're always talking about yourself, and I'm not giving you shit about that. I mean, just <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like when someone's around you, they want to know about you because you're Mecca, and, and Chrissy's Chrissy, and Craig's Alexander. You know what I mean? Like these people. You, you are the type of person who's a star, and so attention's always about you. What keeps you real? I don't, but the thing is, I, we go to towns where we're not stars. So I don't live in Boulder because I, I struggle with that a lot. I struggle with, I struggle with this, with that side of the sport. We live in LA where we're, you're invisible. We, I've always lived in towns where there's nobody. I, I, I couldn't deal with Boulder. I don't know how the guys do it. Where and a beautiful place, beautiful training grounds, but the scene is too much for me. But it's just I can't 
Or if I have a beer at dinner, I'm an alcoholic. Or if I have a, you know, it's just like far out. But some of the guys feed off that. They live for that. It's just not my cup of tea. We, My wife and my family, when we're in America, we live in L.A. L.A. is a big city. There's a lot of triathletes here, but you, you hide. You don't see them. And you can do your own thing. And you're, in, you're you know, surely, it, obviously, at races, it's a different thing. But you've, over the years, you come to... You come to go with the highs and lows of racing. You know, as the race comes, as you arrive, it's going to be, boom, energy, 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 energy. But, you know, it's over on the Sunday. And I, I love it. I don't I don't hate it by any means, but I, I definitely need my away. Yeah. I don't. I, I definitely need to come to L.A. or I go back to Sydney in the, in the, in the winters and the American summers now or I go to Europe and, and stay in Germany with, you know, places where you can be normal not that we're huge superstars but where I don't have to talk triathlon where I can focus on myself and focus on getting the job done and have no distractions do um do um wait second another question there but I've lost it okay let's go into this <laughs> this week's going <laughs> um so first of all Melina I remember when I was writing out for Melina he says they love you when you're there and when you're winning and then if you're not there they don't, they don't care about you you mentioned in your interview Leading up to after the race that you're saying, you know, you've got no media attention this year or bugger in comparison to maybe what you've had over the last few years. So lead us into the week leading up to the race. Tell us what that was all about for you. Um, it's, it's funny because even at the top of my game, I never like, I used to always dodge the press conferences. I never, well, I always you, think. You won it last time, was it? Yeah, I, seven. Oh, yeah, seven. Yeah, I never go to any of that stuff. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, everything, race where everything's been said, everything's been done. You know, like the, the, the press is done your interviews, you've done your things months out, you know, they started to pass kind of, so there's nothing left to say, it's just regurgitating rubbish that's been said to be to be honest, it's that race so for me, I I was more um, you know, when I went and did my talks and that to, to Bob Babbitt and the gang and, and, and tried to keep it low key, I was happy that I didn't have I'd already spoken to my sponsors, I didn't want a lot down in the, in the expo this year, I just wanted do my little key things, use my Facebook community as a way of communicating with people who wanted to know things or, hey, guys, this is what's happening and uh, and really just stay with the family. You know, we have a beautiful home there. A friend of ours owns a beautiful home there at Alihi Drive and um, we just stayed in. I trained with Terenzo and, and got the job done and uh, I was I was in a good place. I, I was where I wanted to be weight-wise. My um, two races prior to Kona, I'd felt it incredible i'd done a massive block of work there and and um absorbed it very very well and i um i was quietly quietly confident and so when i was reading stuff you know i remember speaking to bob babbitt after a couple of breakfast of bob things i did he's like mackie you seem quietly confident this year and uh he'll be the first one to tell you i said bob there's a couple of these uh um online sites that have got me at seven to one throw yourself a lazy thousand on me because it'll be the easiest seven you've ever made but i bet you they don't take i said i bet you they don't take your money i said <laughs> and he laughed i said you know i said they won't take your money they're they're quite easy to write me off but they if i'm that big a write-off something you want to throw a grand on me and we had a chuckle and i said there's no guarantees in kona but i definitely felt um i thought i was ready to race i definitely um and I and I liked that I was able to fly under the radar and um, and escape, but I, and I was there to, to to get a job done, and I felt felt very very good. Uh, 
Okay, coffees of Hawaii. And we actually got an email through from... Who was it from? I can't remember. Somebody was asking, um, what sort of coffee should I get? Coffee blends, yeah. And uh, and I said, well, why don't you ask Albert? So Albert said... I did to, say vanilla. Yeah. Because I do love the vanilla stuff. And Albert said, so how do you like your coffee? Strong, uh, strong and bold or smooth and mellow? Yeah, that was the problem. How do you answer that question? How long is a piece of string? Yeah. So if you like something that's strong and bold, you should get onto Coffees of Y and order the espresso or muleskin. So they're obviously stronger coffees. If you like something a bit more smooth and mellow, try our Kona, Maui or Mal... Mal... What's that? Malulani um, blends. So you go go on Coffees of Y. When you're going on Coffees of Y, remember go on to imtalk.me, click through on the Coffees of Y logo. That will take you through the specials page, and there's a number of different uh, codes you can use to get the biggest discount. Remember that if you're an international listener at the moment, if you spend over fifty bucks US, you get free shipping. It was good old Andrew McMahon. McMahon. Is it McMahon? Yep. Okay. McMahon. Good old. I think it's Mayhem, isn't it? No, no, that's Andrew May Mather. Oh, okay, sorry. Mayhem Mather. Okay. Um, yep, good old Andrew. Yep, so he wanted to get some coffee, he wanted to order some coffee, and so if you want to get, try the different blends. Coffees of Hawaii, go through our page, good specials on offer, and those specials do change from time to time, so make sure you check, 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 check them out. Check it out. And just also, if you go to the website, it is really good for um, giving good details of what what's actually each coffee is like. So, yep. you know, you can ask, obviously John's helped out there and Albert's helped out there, but check out the website because it's also some really you know, good information on what's going to work for you. It's a race day, so tell us, walk, talk us through race day. Tell us what about. Oh, well, the key for me all year and, and on the race day was the swim. You know, it was all the swim. That's all. Did, did you have fear I, around that? Because you know, like I know, last year there was that little bit of a mistake. But did you? Was there still some fear going into? The yeah, hundred percent. There was apprehension. You know, you don't know what happened last year, and you, you fear that it could happen again. I had a great swim in Frankfurt, so I, I was happy about that. But I was very, very in that morning. Bike-wise, I knew I was in amazing bike form. Running, I, I was running very, very well in training. Confident, I could. Uh, could run well off the hard bike, but swim. I've been swimming well, but I was swimming well last year, and so you have that definite apprehension. So I was very keen to warm up well, which I did. I, um, you know, I was I was definitely alert on that on that start, and I found um, Pete Jacobs, who I did a bit of work with in Sydney this year. We trained together in Sydney and uh, swam a lot, and we've become very good friends with Pete. And I and I started next to Pete. I so said, I'm starting next to you, Pete, and. Um, and I wanted to make sure I was very, very aware of where everyone was. Where last year I was very, you know, lax, 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 laxity, whatever, not laxity, but laxidosive of, of where where the athletes were. I just sort of got on the start line. I was, I went, okay, yeah, there's a guy, boom, I'll swim hard. But this year I went, okay, that's, there's Rasmus and the crew, there's Potts. I knew where everyone was in relation to where I was on the swim start. I spent that time this year. It was very, very important for me to swim well. And, uh, and luckily for me, I swept myself between Pete Jacobs and, and Andy Potts. Andy Potts tended to come around near Pete. And uh, when the gun went, I had a ripper start. I, was, I think I was so ready for it. And bang, I went and I, I had a little bit of a break on Pete and that. And they came past me and I rode their wake. And after about 300 metres, the three of us had distanced ourselves from the rest of the field because I'd been able to sit on their, on their wake. And then by the time they pulled in front of me, I had their feet for a while. Then they pulled away. And I was now leading. There was 
Andy Potts, Pete Jacobs, and me. And I was leading the entire, you know, first third place, 400 metres into this swim. So, so what are you thinking there? You're going, okay, I need to back it up a little bit? Um, well, no, because I think once... You know, I was once I once they were gone when they were pulling away. I was like, "This is fantastic!" Because I felt very, very good. Like uh, I'd been sitting on their hips. So a lot of the times when you sit on their hips, you're sprinting, but they're doing thirty percent of the work for you. And once they broke that, they put me in a position where, okay, I was thinking now the fast swimmers have to swim around me, which is a great position to be in, as opposed to being fortieth place and losing. You know, not seeing the breaks like I did last year. Now, anyone that goes around me, I'm going to know who they are. And Rasmus Henning pulled up next to me at about quarter mile into the swim and what Rasmus and myself led the swim all the way to the to the first turn and I was like, Oh, ain't gonna happen this year, boys, it's front bunch for me and I was so content in the water, very, very happy because I knew fitness wise and swimming wise it was it was happening. It was firing and uh I thought last year was just a freak accident. Deal with it. Last year was last year. It's back to normal. You're in the front bunch. So so now you're feeling mentally good. Yeah, I was back to I was yeah the the nerves of of whys or what ifs because you, you know the self doubt because you don't know what happened here before they're put behind you now I'm, I'm I'm like this is a great place to be and then guys were coming around and in the swim after halfway people start to panic and I was like don't panic like, you just sit you know I ended up getting out of water about 14th or 15th and and I'd already set my bag up in in transition this year I, I looked at my transitions last year they were a little tardy I was. I think 13 seconds slower than the fastest transition and on my run I was 18 seconds slower. I thought I want two fastest transitions this year so I really focused on the bags and putting, you know, the I taped my um, my straps and my helmet to the helmet so that when I got there there was no issues with the helmet that I had in years past. I'd just be a clip straight on and uh, my transitions were lightning fast. So I was, four, I think, third or fourth out onto the bike and... Uh, I remember running out, helmet on, boom, onto the bike, going, ha-ha, game on, boys. And as we as we came out, it was a big group there with us, and I said, I ain't three minutes back this year, fellas. And uh, I really, I was really happy about that. So then, so you get on yeah. the bike and, and kind of just sorting each other out at first? Yeah, well, it's the same, you know, it's pretty much the same script every year in Canada. The, everyone panics the first, you know, 20 miles. Everyone sort of sorts for positions very, very fast, and and I, I knew I didn't need to get involved in that. I don't need to show my hand this early. Five years ago, I would have been pushing at the front. You know, I, I said, you know what, just let 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 people do that that heavy lifting, play it safe, and stay out of. Uh, you know, that early section now is very, very, very. Um, What's the word? You, you get very caught with 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 issue. You know, you, the main problem you have in that early section now is the drafting call or a, yeah, a blocking yeah. call or. A, so you're it's, stressed it's, about not your race. You're stressed about external. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's your primary stress is staying out of those zones and being playing safe because it's it's the, the part of the race where you're going to be around so many many athletes, yeah. you know, so many of you. So, I was very very attentive to make sure I gave extra distance there because I didn't want to get calls and I saw a few calls getting getting pulled as we got over Polani in the first. You know. 15k after that point and I was like wow these the marshals are, are going to be aggressive and uh, so I sort of stayed out of the action but I do remember thinking damn this is a huge pack huge pack yeah I was like everyone's here the, the days of the lonely lava fields uh, are over you know it wasn't lonely there was a lot of guys there and uh, I just said let's play it 
be content, play it safe. And Lieto was there pushing at the front. And uh, I remember Andreas Raylert being really, really strong. And uh, and I remember taking note that he was he was definitely aggressive in that early phase. As I think he he drew a lot of confidence from Frankfurt, and where he buried us on the bike. And he was he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting early. And I was like, whoa. Man, he's Andreas is on, but I don't think you're getting away. It's not Frankfurt, Andreas. I remember thinking you've got Leade on, Rasmus, and these guys around you. We're not going to let you escape. And uh, but I just sat back and watched until uh, let all the shenanigans happen for the first 25 miles. I was happy to do that. And from there, oh, from there we sort of. You know, Lieto started to distance himself um, As always. slowly from the group. And, um, you know, you head down past Waikoloa, heading out to Kauai High, and, and guys were getting pinged. I remember seeing Dirk Bockel and Pete Jacobs yeah. got pinged for blocking. And I was like, oh, man, uh, it sucks. And so I started to slide up a bit. I wanted to be up closer to the front. And and uh, and, and so I stayed away from all that. And, I, um, you know, we, we made the left up towards... Towards um, you know, you go to Kauai, went up left towards Harvey to climb to Harvey, and the rule now is when you pass, you have to pass the whole group. So oh, really? when people, yeah, it was, it's a tough rule, yeah, and it's uh, a hard rule, especially with the size. Really, of yeah, it's a really really hard rule, and there's still about twenty five guys it? in it. Yeah, so on that climb up towards the big descent on the climb up the first Harvey, you know, the whole pack pretty much went past me. You can't pull out, so I had to let everyone go up past me, and that was pretty much when um, Stadler had come through and. Uh, Timo Brucht had caught with him and and there was obviously Andreas and Farris up near the front of the group already and so I was like, this is cool. The pace will pick up. Those guys will take it and uh, I want to make a move from Parker's Ranch, which is about six or seven miles up when the crosswinds start to happen and uh, so I sat at the back of the group and uh, when I hit Parker's Ranch, I moved up and and uh, those boys had gone. Norman had gone straight through the group with... Um, with Bruckton and, and he'd taken Raylert and Farris with him and, and and Marino and I've hit the front of the group at Parker's Ranch here 35 seconds up I'm like oh man yeah, I've missed the break yeah. oh shit yeah and I was like okay don't panic I want to uh, there's a big section up towards Harvey where you have the strong headwind and I, you know, I've i always said in triathlon I think you should attack into a headwind because in cycling you would never do that yep. But I think triathlon, you always attack into a headwind because triathletes are thinking of the run. They'll feel that sting in their legs when they start to chase you and they switch off. And um, so I thought, you know what, bite your time and I'll try and ride across to these guys. I was feeling good and uh, I attacked about seven miles, eight miles before Harvey and and the runners didn't come. Reynard Tissing came with me and and we, we, we gapped the field very, very quickly. We gapped the pack by... 150 metres, 200 metres within the space of the, a mile. And um, wow. they were we were getting belted by the headwind. And I knew the runners, with their mindset, the way they think, would not want to push that headwind. They'd be like, you know what, it's too... You know, you're only at 55 miles, 50 miles. And it's a strong wind. You've got to put out a lot of power to fight it. And, uh, and they probably they think you're be, making a mistake. They're probably going, oh, Of course. Safety, safety in numbers, which is which is the mistake of the race now. It was a mistake of the old way of racing these things. It's not safety in numbers. It's it's You need to get away the safety in the numbers of the people that suit your style of racing. And uh, so we, um, yeah, we, we tacked and Reynard was strong, keen to, to, to go. And, you know, I said to Reynard, we have to get across to the Stadler group before Kauai High, before the push home. And uh, we have to stay committed, don't don't be stupid here, don't just sit on me, let's let's do 10 minutes each. 
he's like, I'm, I'm up for that, and and we did. We sort of chased up towards uh, towards Harvey, went around at Harvey. Farris and that were about a minute down at, at the Harvey turn, and uh, I got onto the group just at the base of Kauai, of Kauai High. We rode onto the back of them, and within that section for us, we'd ridden three minutes out of the runners and joined the the cycling group, and I was I was happy then. Really, really happy. I was like, this is it. This is exactly, that's the critical section I've been saying for two years and we've capitalised on it. Now the push to home and I'm looking at the guys who were with me. I couldn't have scripted any better. I'm, I'm thinking who's back in that group and I'm thinking mano to mano, I, we're going to ride time out of that group because we're better bike riders, yeah. full stop. And uh, so it's just going to naturally occur that we're going to have time on that group and I was I was like, this is fantastic. This you, is fantastic. Um, were you, like bridging that gap, had it taken something out of you? Were you a little bit fearful of that maybe have taken something out of you physically? Um, I was feeling, amazingly, I'd, I'd done that that loop because it was my my plan for the race. Terenzo and I and Cam Brown on training camp must have ridden that Harvey section fast 20 times. Oh, okay. You know, I'd done it so many times. I'd done a few sessions where I motor-paced out to the to Kauai High to simulate the the fast pace of um the crosswinds and stuff like of the that, of yeah. the thing and then time trial in the crosswinds. So I was so comfortable, you know, the crosswinds I felt so for me and so at home and you know, there's all this talk about training at altitude and Boulder being the only place you can train if you want to win Kona and and I I think I, I think you enter a lot of strength out of being very, very familiar with the course, very familiar with the winds and and very getting down with how you're going to attack the race and, and doing that in training, I think I'd grab more out of that than I would have ever got by living in attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so then riding home, just, riding back home, just obviously conserving a little bit, but just doing your bit. Yeah. Well, we had the group then, so yeah. unlike the year prior, I've now got five guys with me, and um, you and know, so you've got your. Where you probably know is that you're one of the stronger runners in the group, so you don't. I'm looking at that. Oh, I'm looking at that group seeing Timo Bracht, thinking, okay, if he has a great day. He's a fantastic runner, and Andreas Railert. That's what I was honestly looking at. Marino was up the road, and I, even though Marino's run phenomenal run times, I I have this confidence over Marino at the moment. I'm sure that's going to change. He's a brilliant, brilliant athlete, but I, I was confident with myself. The mano to mano on the run, there's nothing Marino. He's my style of runner. He's not faster than me, or you know, he's, he's a pace runner. And uh, Andreas is a fast runner, and that was scary. And, and Timo is. Uh, a tempo runner that 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 can be ugly, uh, and he's a smaller guy. He likes the heat, so I I, I was a bit intimidated by Timo, but so uh, I was happy, but I I was very very concerned about Andreas. So I put myself in the group as we went past Waikoloa, right behind Andreas. I wanted to watch him and look at him and see see how he looked, yeah. and in the ride up towards scenic lookout, and uh, I stood about eight miles behind him and. He looked uncomfortable. I'll admit he was out of the saddle a lot on the bumps, and uh, and he, he seemed to be, you know, struggling a little bit in the crosswind. But I, I, I was like, oh, maybe I'm just seeing things. You're, you're looking, you're hoping to see things yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that suit you. I'm like, you know, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, it doesn't look good. And uh, and when we went up the scenic lookout, and there's a few bumps after the scenic lookout, which is about four, uh, 20 miles from home, a bit less, 18 miles from home. Um, a few little hills up there. He started to leave gaps to Norman. Norman was um, starting to push it a bit, and I was like, "Man, that's he's leaving gaps here." And uh, I thought, "That's it. 
I'm going to go. And I, um, when we just before the cemetery, or I knew the crosswinds came again, and there was a slight headwind, I I went. And Reynard again came with me, and uh, we got away from the group. When I saw the group didn't respond, I was like, "This is a oh, bonus. If I can, yeah. if I can get a minute here, this will be great." And I was feeling very, very good. And uh, yeah, we rode in, Reynard and I. And uh, Reynard did, you know, I pushed all the way to the airport, and then Reynard was quite content to come around and take us pretty much all the way in from the airport home. So we were able to get about a minute twenty on the group. And so, so we know, know that your strategy seems to be over the last few years, you know, get off the bike and smack it in that first little bit just to kind of lay the smack down on the rest of the field. It was pretty much the same attitude this year? Yeah, I got off and I felt in a, I felt very, very good. Um, I was very happy. My, again, quick transition and uh, and had the fuel belt got out and I was I felt the legs were great. And, uh, I, and I had no idea at that stage how far... We were, as I was running out, I saw Andreas's group coming in, which I knew was about a minute, but I had no idea whether we were five minutes up on the Alexander group or yeah, or course, ten minutes. Down, down yeah, I had no idea. So I thought, you know what? The next time Crowe and that are going to see me and, and Erasmus, I was thinking Crowe, Erasmus, Larnos, Bockel, Terenzo, um, Brownie. Yep. That were the people I'm thinking are in this group that are going to do, and Pete Jacobs. Um, they're going to they're gonna run quick. And I, um, I said, well, I got five miles. Let's let's run six minute miles and make sure that when they see me, yeah, make them think far out. This guy and uh, I ran out and I felt magic. I was holding back. I was like, whoops, five forty too quick, you know, and whoops. And so I was, I was actually holding back, really, really. And that's usually a good sign as opposed to squeezing five fifties and and. Um, I felt great, and I, you know, I worked the Leahy Drive up Pilani Hill, and uh, and when I saw um, the the Crowies group, they were eight thirty back. At that point, it was like game over for you guys. There's yeah. two blokes in this race. It's Raylert and Bruck, and uh, I need to be very, very attentive of those guys. I didn't think Marino was going to hold off Timo. I, I had, at that stage, I didn't think Marino would hold off Timo. So that was something that came later to me in the marathon when I see Marino was holding tough. I thought. Geez, he's a big factor here. He's he's having a great day. He did a great day, didn't he? Yeah. Also for me, I guess when I got over um, Polani Hill, I was two minutes up on uh, Andreas Raylert. His brother Michael was on the course, and I I said it, it. What a class act! He was giving splits to the guys out there. They were legitimate splits. Oh, really? You know, cool. really cool. Yeah, and yeah. you know, the first split he gave me, I was, I was a bit tentative, and then. I realised they were real splits. He was very, very supportive, and I remember thinking, "Geez, you boys are classy, real class acts." Yeah. And uh, I, you know, pushing out towards the energy lab, I, but I started losing. So at this stage, you're realising you're losing. He's starting to gain on you. Yeah, well, that's where I started. I was pushing out towards the energy lab. I had two twenty over Polani Hill, and then I started losing fifteen seconds a mile to him. Yeah. I was like, "Far out, okay, he's he's coming," and uh, I was having a bit of a. You know, I was, I was starting to push it, force it. You know, where the where the miles were ticking up a lot easier along a leaky drive. I was starting to have to to force out the six minute miles here, and uh, and I, well, they were a bit higher. I was at six fifteens. I was running, and I um, but I was losing fifteen seconds, fifteen seconds, and as I got to about mile marker ten, I was a minute twenty up, and I. Uh, Ten miles from the finish at mile marker sixteen, yeah. I was a minute twenty up. I'd been losing exactly fifteen seconds a mile to him in those last four miles. I went, you know what? 
jump off the gas. He's going to catch you. Yep. Just accept that he's going to catch you and um, take your time through the energy lab. Focus on your nutrition. You've been here a million times. You've been here so many times. This rate, you've got to be ready for the assault, running good in the last 10 kilometers. And let's focus on nutrition. Get ready for the for the for, for him for that run home yep. and uh and when i made that decision i felt good i was good it, about it, it you it know just take the emotion out of it it does it really does that's yeah. exactly the best way of describing it like you're not forcing it anymore you're like okay he's coming and you, yep. you just make that decision and you're like let's What's just slow it down a little bit yeah. and focus on on what i can control and, and i'd made the decision accepted that he was going to get me by the time i came out of the energy lab which was three miles, a bit over, you know, about four miles when I went in from where I'd made that decision. And I thought, he's going to get me as I come out of the energy lab. I'm going to have 10K with the guy. And uh, and so every aid station then, as opposed to, you know, screaming through the aid stations, only getting half a cup of water and a bit of ice and, and Coke, Coke and missing it, I would just, I slowed down at the aid station. I'd get two cups of water, I'd drink them slowly, put the ice, I'd get two Cokes. I really took my time in the aid station and got my aid. You know, and I got the gel, boom, and took it. And then I went down, I got my special needs. And, and as I came out of the energy lab, mentally I was prepared for him to be catching me as I came out. I came out and someone said, 34 seconds. I was like, far out, he hasn't caught me yet. Yeah, and I've really taken my time in here. This is this is good. It's good. He's going to catch me with five miles to go. So I only have to run 8K with him. You know, you start looking for the positives. And then we got to five miles from home and someone said, 18 seconds. I was like, man, and I was starting to feel good. I've, I've sort of relaxed for five so, so miles. The rest of the world is looking at you thinking, oh, he's got a crack. You're actually getting on top of the world going, yeah, yeah we, Yeah, you're looking for positives. Yeah. And I, and when you've made that that decision and and it's played out better than you than what you'd set yourself, yeah, that's, that's a huge positive. You draw from that. It's an emotional time in the race for you physically and emotionally. you and you're looking for that, and it's it's playing into my court. So you're building a lot of confidence from that. And I'm like, man, I was prepared to run hard for 10K. I only have to run hard for 8K. Yeah. I only have to run hard for in the next mile. It was four miles to go. He was 18 seconds. I'm thinking, I only have to run hard for 6K. <laughs> I can do that easily. Okay, and okay, at this time, did you think it's worth trying to just put a smack down now and bridge the gap or make a bigger gap? Well, at this time, at 18 seconds, we had a ridiculous entourage of, of people and a lot of Germans. So I knew he was he was behind me. I, I, and I didn't like the fact that I couldn't see him. And so you're waiting between the mile markers to get the splits. But I could hear he was there because they're yelling and yelling and screaming. And so they're obviously yelling at someone who's right behind me. And so I thought, mate, if I was this guy and I've been chasing for five miles and the catch is right there, I'm going to try and squeeze to get across. You want to get across. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to pick this mile up a bit. And I... I picked it up a little bit because I wanted him to squeeze it across or I wanted him to try and get across and not be able to do it, maybe crack. And so that mile, I I definitely slowly picked it up and um, he still ran across to me. But I remember thinking that was definitely a quicker mile than the last mile and um, that would have had, he would have had to pay for that. And he caught me with exactly three miles to go. Wow. It was exactly on the three-mile-go marker and I, um, I was like, okay. 5K, man. I've done this a million times. This is good. We ran about, you know. Was there any communication? Like, what happened there? At that point, no, but about 400 metres into it, um, we hadn't said much, and now you've got people screaming and yelling at us, and, you know, everyone's, yeah, you've got cars and motorbikes, and people are, oh, honk, honk, honk. Just for a moment, what's that like in that moment? Um, 
it's yeah, you're you're not thinking of it. You're not thinking of it as yeah. You're thinking of it. You're still. I guess you're a racer in that sense. You're not thinking. Wow, this is cool. Look at the cars. Look at the. Look at the camera flashes. This is cool. I'm sitting there thinking. Okay. You know this. This question. So did you actually communicate with him? Yeah, I ended up turning to him and saying, um, mate, best of luck. You're a champion. Regardless of what happens here, you're a champion. May the best person win. And he put his hand out and said, Maka, good luck. And we shook hands. And I said, you too. And uh, we never said another word. But we, I, I, I have immense respect for Andreas, and we're both good friends on and off the course. So... It was one thing I know about you. You know, you are a character. You know, a character-driven athlete. You know, you, you as much as you are the scientist as well. But you know, you you love the game. And how like was it an awesome moment for you? Because you know, like you're the kind of guy who always is there for the challenge. It's about you being the best version of yourself. And you knew that in the next three miles of your life, you have a chance to be the best that you could ever be. How was it? Yeah. Well, I do remember thinking of that because it's amazing where your mind goes after that moment. I was thinking, man, this is. Uh, this is Mark and Dave. Yeah. Like I, you know, I've watched so many growing up with this sport, growing up with that video, and I'm thinking, man, this is Mark and Dave Hill. We're approaching Mark and Dave Hill. This is where Mark Allen made his move on Dave Scott. Regardless of what happens here, this is going to be a great race. Yeah. This is going to be one for the ages, yeah. you know. And uh, and we sort of got to that Mark and Dave Hill, and I was thinking that, going, okay, back to the, you know, back to the race. Like don't, don't let your mind wander. Don't let your mind wander. This. It's not Mark and Dave. This is Mac and Rayla. Yeah. This is, you know, like, don't let your mind wander. You know, this isn't over to the pier, you know. And uh, on the hill, I and I really started, I, I squeezed it on that climb and uh, because I remember thinking, Mark made his movie. Maybe I should go here, and I squeezed it, and then I panicked. It's funny how uh, it influenced you. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're trying to work. You're looking for positives, you know. You're looking for, what you know, the things that, that have worked, or I knew I knew so much about that eye war, yeah. and that's a and, and, it's a and it's also a great. Mark went there because it's a great place to go. It's a hill. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a good, it's a tactically smart place to make a move. Yep. But I, I made that move, and I remember panicking, thinking, "Man, this guy's quick, and we're a long way from home to be committed. You don't have to win it two miles out. I need to win it at the pier. Yep. Don't panic. Don't rush it. Don't you know? And I think a younger me would have rushed it, would have rushed that moment. I think that experience was like, you know, don't, 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 don't. yeah, might be more patient here. Don't blow it. This is, you know, and I, I made the move and I gapped him. And I looked back and went, ooh, I gapped him very, very quickly. And I thought maybe he was being tactical here. So I decided to keep the, the pace on the climb. And, and I remember saying to myself, mate, it took him a mile to close that gap before. We've only got 200 metres to the top of this climb. If he closes that, in the same amount of time, he's had to work. He has to have worked, yeah. and he did. He because I think, unfortunately for him, he had so many of the Germans around him. Yeah. Go, Andre, you must go, you must go. It makes you, you know, sometimes it makes you push. And he he closed that gap very very quickly up to climb. And I wasn't, I was I was ticking along all right. And when he climbed and we crested together, he took this deep breath like a, like yeah, uh, I, yeah I got him, you know, like I'm back on. I remember thinking, okay, don't rush this. And we turned down to Polani Hill, and and I started to pick it up down Polani. I heard him yell, Coke, 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 at the aid station. And I, 
I was like, far out. He's going to go for eight here. You know, he's going to he's going to get a drink. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's a downhill here at the bottom of this hill. There's one mile to go. I know that. I've run it a million times at Terenzo in training. I've spent it from the the banyan tree. If he goes for coke, you're out of here. I'm yep. going. And uh, he went to the aid station, and I went. And the minute he put those hands up, I went. I grabbed I grabbed the last cup, if I remember, of water because the lady was right out in the street. And the hand was there, but I was in full flight. And I just sort of grabbed it, threw it on myself and kept going. And I and I think, you know, he, he closed the gap to get me. I gapped him again on the hill. He closed the gap. And now I've gapped him again. The frustration of that must have been, oh, yeah. he's got it's away from me up. again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got away from me again. I can't get it. But this time I was, I was committed. I was like, this is it. This is... This is every track session I've ever done in my life. This is every single day I've been away from my kids. This is for all the people that said I was old and over the hill. This is for this is for my dad. This is for my mum. This is for my best mate. This is for me. This is, it comes down to this moment, and uh, I was committed at that point, and I was running running for home. I was like, this is a mile. You've done a mile a million times in your life. Yeah. This is it. And, uh, yeah, he broke in that section along there. I was able to turn onto a little lie road, and, and I knew I had the title. And, you know, I said after the race, and I've said it a lot since, you know, people talk about Ironman's being an eight-hour event, but Ironman's a one in a moment. Yeah. And they're lost in a moment, you know. And, and I, you know, and I lost the Ironman in those three miles. I didn't lose it. Well, I could say I lost it in the swim or I lost it in those three miles on the run where I walked. And and I won this year in that moment on Polani Hill when I made the move and committed to that move that and you win a Iron Man in a moment, and, uh, and that little snap of time was what won me the race. The emotion of of the, the finish. Before he went for the aid session, did you think it was going to go to a sprint? I I was in Terenzo and I. Yeah, well, Terenzo and I, funnily in training for um, the whole entire build, had talked about you know fantasised I guess about the two of us yeah, yeah, coming down together onto a leaky onto a leaky drive and would sprint it out. You know, and and we used to joke about it. He'd be like, "You can't sprint, old timer." And I'm like, "Man, I think I back myself against you." And so we'd we'd actually come down onto a leaky drive many times, and from the banyan tree to the finish line, sprint at each other. So they're like, you know, doing these long runs with a sprint at the end, sprint at the end, sprint at the end. So in my head, way out when I made that decision from to let him catch me. I was thinking, mate, this is you and Terenzo sprinting from the banyan tree. You're just going to run with this guy from the banyan tree. It is 42 seconds. We've done it 42 seconds from the banyan tree to the finish line. I've done it 10 times in camp. You can do this. And he doesn't know that I want to sprint from the banyan tree. Yep. I'm just going to run off him. So I actually thought, yeah, that I was uh, I was going to go later. But I took that opportunity when it arose. When he, when he, went, for the, when he went for that water, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this chance and have a crack at it. And so yeah. you, you obviously, you, you take the chance, you rock on, you, you, you realise you've got it. What's it like, mate? Oh, mate, it was better <laughs> than the first time around simply because I, it it's was, I did it. When you talk to most people, they normally say the first one's always magic. No, nah, this one, this one was better because I did it my way this time. I didn't do it. The first time I had to change who I was as a racer, I had to become a runner. I had to sit in the group. I had to be that guy. The, I had to be that runner to win it because of the desperation to get my first title but this year I won it the way I said I was going to this year I won it on my terms by being an aggressive biker by showing I'm rounded by showing I don't have a weakness in Kona you want to ride hard or ride hard you want to run hard or run hard 
And that's what makes it satisfying that now my Kona wins are won in two completely separate ways. I won one by being the best runner. I won one by being the best triathlete. And uh, and that's what I was thinking when I ran down. It was such a... It was like you did it. And, you know, far out. You know, it was a process, you know, the... And, and I just felt so happy. The sponges were out. I was thinking, I'm going to get a better finish photo. <laughs> and and just my girls are at an age where they can appreciate it. Yeah, and yep. and I just and it was just a real personal. And for the, the people who've been around me a long time, it was a culmination. I guess in your in your career, as an athlete, or I guess as anything. I guess if you was if I was an artist, I think that race on the two weeks ago was my masterpiece. It was the my the race I've hunted for my whole life when you do things the way you want to do it. It's, you know, like as much as everyone's saying you're an old bugger, it, it's ironic that you st- you can nail that, you know, like even where you are right now in your career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think, I think you know, age is, age is something, and I've said it a lot, that, that the media or other people tend to, to put on you. They don't give enough respect to experience. And, and in endurance racing, experience plays a lot of, you know, we're not running fast. You know, I'm not being, I'm not, you know, if, it's not as if these guys, if I was a marathon runner, I had to run 2.6 and you just, your body slows down, but I only have to run 2.40. And a lot of 55-year-old men run 2.40. Yeah. It, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not, um, it, so I think you got to look at things that way. And I think you've got to look at, you know, for me personally, I think experience and and race smarts and and, and the experience on a course plays a hell of a lot more dividends and a lot more positives than than just being a pure physical being and uh, and I think it, well, it's, you know it's interesting as you say that if we think about what you're just talking about your race you know those those moments that define the race really came down to really your experience didn't it a hundred percent a hundred percent and if you look at the guys who are still Chloe's my age she's, she's still right there Andreas is 35 he's no spring chicken um, Marino's 33 they're a lot they're a little younger than me and Chloe but a lot of the guys are in their 30s but they have a huge racing knowledge and, I, and racing experience and I think um, for me personally I've, I've learnt to give that the respect in my own mind where when I was much younger it was all about seek and destroy physical physical train harder be better be stronger be yeah. now it's like be smarter. Yep. Be smarter, you know, and um, be smarter than these guys. Outsmart them yep. because you don't need to out-bully them or out-brute them because a lot of the time the younger guys will probably be able to beat you there. Mm. Just a couple of quick questions kind of before we wrap up. What, what do you think of the sport moving forward? Uh, obviously, we've had the rule changes and, you know, you're, you're a knowledgeable man in the sport. So what do you think is happening with the sport and, you know, are you happy with what's happening? Or Yeah, I think, you know, that. You know, I'm not in the, in the in the behind the scenes. I think they've got the best interests, I guess, at heart. I don't know, but uh, for me personally, I the way the sport's evolving. I went through this with the ITU. You know, it's I'm one of the few guys. I mean, was recent way back in the day when the ITU brought their point system out for their Olympic qualifying points and change and change your ability of sponsorship and change. And people were jumping up and down. You can't do this, but I think the ITU has gone on to become a phenomenal. Product and uh, you know change is always difficult. I, I I do I do think um, the professional side for the second tier pro is is very very difficult now. I think there's no support for them and that that's that's sad for me because I think you know you took take someone like a Craig Alexander who has really shone these last five years of his career had the system been in place now that 
back then, he, he may never have hit his potential mm-hmm. because he would have been forced out of the sport because he couldn't have been able to afford to do it. You know, we were lucky we had a system back in Australia where there was Olympics and stuff and we could sort of ride our way through that and stay in the sport. But this WTC's new system and the lack of funds for for athletes is, is going to make it difficult for that second tier. So I do worry. You know, I, I do. I am apprehensive, but I just hope. I guess I, I have put faith in the sport as a sport that that people are, there are people out there like me who love this sport, who are passionate about it, who will do the right things for it because they they want to see it be better and better, you know, and bigger. And uh, you know, I just hope that's that's the driving force behind the people at the helm of this thing. I've got this gut feeling it's not the main priority, but there are people in there that I do know love it, and I just hope they've they think things out. So, so the plan moving forward now, mate. You know, like. What's, what's happening now? There's um, now a lot of attention that goes into this kind of shit, you know, like imagine you're doing these kind of interviews and a lot of your attention, you know, you, now you're back on the pedestal, you know. Like. Yeah, yeah, now, now everyone's my friend again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, yeah, I'm getting emails from people I haven't spoken to for three years. But no, I, um, no for me, I'm taking downtime. Like, we're very, very busy here in the States. We've uh, got some meetings with some publicists in New York yeah, next week. Capitalise on this, don't you? Yeah, I do, and I, I just want to enjoy it. And um, you know, we've, the sport's been very, very good to myself and my family. And you know, I want to make sure they enjoy the ride with me. And um, it's 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 definitely been a an enormous buzz because I think the way it unfolded, the fact that no one backed me in this age thing has played a big positive in this second win. You know, I'm, it's. Um, it's created a lot of hype and a hype outside the sport, which has been, which is very, very different to the first time around. And uh, and yeah, there's a lot of lot of positive things on the horizon. We've got some had some very, very interesting meetings, and uh, it's been a great, great, great two weeks. Um, just just a last note. Um, you, you're you're like if, if any athlete or if anyone's out there wants to see an amazing example of how to do social networking, you you really nailed the social networking thing, haven't you? Yeah, I, I just enjoy. I think it's. I think. It's just my personality and my love of the sport. I think my community I've built on Facebook, I try and give back as much as I possibly can. And I think that's why the community's become so big. It's not fake. It's not, I look at other people's Facebook communities and go, man, that's so, it's such a NASCAR commercial, man. Like, be real, dude. Like, and I I think people people have warmed to that. I, I'm real. I just I, I want to see people enjoy my sport. I love the sport, and um, you know I want. And I think the community's you know the community's very absorbed in that. I like to give stuff away. I like to to give information. I like to write blogs and stuff to help other people achieve or get from the sport what I've got from it. Because you know I've said it a million times. I'll be doing triathlon forever. I enjoy the sport first. It's the sport I picked. I enjoy the challenge. I I enjoy enjoy being a part of it, and I, and I enjoy the communities I've built, you know, through my social network platforms. And I think it's it's funny that I've, uh, you know, for years I was told I was the most hated, you know, I'm seven or eight times bigger on these social platforms than anyone else. Yeah. I thought I was the most unpopular one, it's what my peers tell me. I am going to check one more question that you, I know I'm taking up heaps of your time, but there's one more question. How important is the legacy now that you've got the second one for you? I think it, you know, I never, I, you know, did I chase legacy? I, I was never, never, in these last few years of thinking, oh, I want 
you know, I want to be remembered. I want these people to pay homage to me in 10 years. I I'm, I don't care. Like, I really don't. I know, I know the fickleness of triathlon. Guys like me pay homage to the guys of the past, and there's guys like yourself, but most of the young, most people don't care anymore. Yeah. Like, so uh, I never thought, you know, we don't have this huge Hall of Fame that people are going to forever wish. So for me, it was always been a personal legacy. For me, it was all a matter of being respected by the peers I looked up to, and for me to sit in a room post this win with Mark Allen and for him to say to me that's the greatest Iron Man I've ever seen in my life that means a lot to me and for me to get an email from Simon Lifford or Peter Reid and for them that's what I take from it it's not about how other people view me It's, it's always for me it's always been how I've been judged and viewed by my peers and whether they like me or hate me I think they have to say well he did all right. he was a he did it differently but Geez, he he, mil- he did he did well out of that game. He was you know he was a clever cat. Yeah. Um, I remember last year at the, the after party I came up to him just to kind of congratulate you on your race because I, I kind of I was actually at the mo- beside you in the moment when you cracked and and then I kind of saw you coming back and I remember just thinking that was an amazing <clears> effort and going into this year's race where a lot of other people were riding you off I kind of said well if Mac is here one thing we know about Mac is his character is never going to let him down and I think for our sport. You know what you bring for our sport is just a really great thing, and so I just want to say thanks for being you, and uh, congratulations on a bloody great victory, mate. I, I know all our listeners were just watching it. You know, we're all twittering each other on the day, and so uh, just you know, congratulations, and uh, you really deserve the amazing victory, mate. Oh, mate, thanks very much, and keep doing what you do. I love listening to the show. Believe it or not, I learn a lot about my competitors by listening to your show. <laughs> I love you, mate. <laughs> Um, say that again. Outstanding interview. Because <laughs> he said that before we had to go back and record. Um, yes, it was, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Life changing, John. I'm, I'm sure. What, what was your highlight? Um, the part when he said, Coach John Newsom, it was part of the motivation for me, <laughs> and I'd like to thank him for doing that. Yeah, you, honestly, I couldn't shut him up then. I was like, make it just shut up. Uh, John hasn't listened to the interview, obviously. Uh, just quick questions and answers. Do you want to do the intro? Questions and answers. Oh, actually, what I was going to say. So I just love the way Mac is accessible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're not following on the Facebook guys or Twitter or one of those, you know, kind of social networks, he's one of the he's one of the guys who's just always there giving back to his community. And so, you know, yeah, get involved because it's sponsors. Athletics. Okay, John, talk about it. Get yourself the t-shirt. They've got t-shirts on there, and they're eighteen bucks US. Really? They're styly. They are styly. Eighteen so, bucks. Great way to support. Okay, John, um, when you go to Athletics, where do you find the t-shirts? Um. There, there's a little bar there. What oh, are you wearing? Yeah. The new Athlinks t-shirts. There's a little bar across the um, the top there. So you can either do that, or alternatively, on the top right-hand corner, there is a shop. There's a shop button up there. You can also click on that. It's 18 bucks. They're looking good. You've got a variety of colours. And nice, simple. I like simple design. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I like some simple design. Mm-hmm. And it's nice, simple design, but good fitting. And nice colours. Yeah, because you, you, know, you don't want that... that you know, tent t-shirt. I'm glad they have, it doesn't look. They, they don't do men's in pink, do they? No, John. Good. I don't think they're blue and charcoal, charcoal black. black. So get on there. It's a great way to if you're short of a t-shirt, get a t- nice cheap t-shirt, and also support one of the companies that are supporting the show and supporting the sport. And one other thing, while you're on there, make sure that you keep your upcoming events up to date, so then they know the events coming up, so they can make sure they've got the most comprehensive sort of uh, database of of events so just get on your calendar and just put the events that you're doing that are coming up 
um, then we can see what events are coming up and we can give some of the IM Talk listeners a bit of love, which we're about to do in a moment. And the and, going slow. And uh, just get on, it's Athletics T-shirts, 18 bucks. And I think I read on there, it's free... Free, this might only be for American listeners. Free shipping while it lasts. 18 bucks is nothing. It's nothing. Honestly, because I, I have a policy, John. 20 bucks, yeah, I pay more than 20 bucks. 25 t-shirt. t-shirt. $25 t-shirt policy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless, like, occasionally I'll go 30 if it's really, It's got to really be good nice. for 30. It's got to be good for 30. But honestly, with Athlinks, I'll be getting quite a few of those because mm-hmm. $18. We're having issues here, John. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, it's, it's just... Alright guys, so it's the end of uh, the best of the year, the first interview we've got with Mac. We'll chuck the next one up, one up on the uh, on the internet next week. I'm uh, not sure who that's going to be right now, but if you want to influence that decision, chuck onto Athlinks and go put your vote in for who you think should be the second interview for the best of the year for 2010. So I want to say big, you know, have a wicked New Year's for coming up. It's going to be a big weekend coming up in New Year's. And I've just kind of been thinking about all you athletes who are training for your A race right now. You know, the festive season is... is probably the hardest time to stay motivated because you've got, you know, all temptation around you and, um, you know, the weather, well, depending on where you are in the year in the world, but the weather can often be pretty hard because it's beautiful days and maybe you want to head to the beach instead. So if you're out there and you're running right now and you're listening to this or you're on your bike, you're out riding somewhere, just, you know, keep it up. You're doing great work and I'm sure we'll pay off come race day. Uh, that's pretty much this week's show. I'm going to head out. I'm about to head down to the swimming pool. So uh, that's me and I'll see you guys next week. Uh, I'm Russ. I mean, don't train hard, train smart, kia kaha.